0: to be you is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Didn't heck find the just you is supportive. I'm in love with could you. make me be true.
1: Snap out of it! the could
0: magnificence make me that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. Lip from within, Tracy. It had to be you, wonderful you, it had to be you. Hello, romantics. Welcome to "It Had To Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Mish Mather. In each episode, I'll be chatting with a guest about one of their favorite romantic comedies from classics to modern hits. My guest today is Eddie Meridian. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, good to to have you on the podcast and uh, really excited to to meet you after being uh, mutuals with you on Twitter for so long.
1: I'm thrilled to be had. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So would you like to introduce the film for us today?
1: Oh, sure. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that I was getting the big, the big role here. Um, today we're going to discuss the George Miller, 1987 classic, um, the witches of Eastwick, possibly a little outside of the romantic comedy realm, but still has much to discuss.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I so I had never seen this movie before. Uh, It was one of those movies that I hadn't heard of and uh, I heard a lot about it, listened to other podcasts about it. And uh, so I was finally glad to be given the opportunity to watch it. Uh, Can you remember the first time you saw the film and what your initial impressions were?
1: I don't know that I can remember when I first saw it, but it was like, I, for some reason, really lumped this movie in with, like, um, um, Working Girl and, like, War of the Roses. I think that they were all in, like, the same HBO loop or, like, Mm. maybe more accurately, based on my father, like, all taped off of HBO on the same VHS tape. And I feel like... um, you know, and they are actually funny enough. All that's a nineteen eighty seven, nineteen eighty eight, and nineteen eighty nine film. Um, but I just remember just watching it all the time, like catching the tail end of it on on cable, and then like popping in the in the video and watching it a lot. Like you know, when I was when I was younger, um, and I was just uh, in love with Michelle Pfeiffer. Like I was yeah. in love with Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, so I probably. I certainly saw this movie when I was way too young, and then it just became like a—I would say like a once a year, once every eighteen months kind of movie that yeah. I would sit down for, and then inevitably I would watch it and go, "I really want to watch Working Girl," and then I would <laughs> watch more of The Roses, and the loop would complete. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, what is it about you know The be stoic and the other two movies that um, really kind of stuck out to you that kept you watching it on loop over
1: and over? Um. Well, I think I, I think probably the three of them bundled together is um, like just pro- was proximity. Like, yeah. I just they were like adult movies that um, I was just had access to, and I just liked, and something really drew me to to. To all of them, I think probably the one that has grown the most in my estimation as I've gotten older is War of the Roses. Because I would speculate that when I was 10, I probably didn't really understand that movie. Yeah. Um, which is like incredibly, incredibly, incredibly dark um, in a way that I love. Um, this, um, I think just, I you know the women and like their big hair and Jack Nicholson was so funny and like the special effects and all of this other stuff that like, I think I was really drawn to as a kid. Um, and then as I got older, just appreciating sort of like the story and the filmmaking of it. Um, and, and it's incredibly, and now as a 40 year old man, yeah. um, I uh, also realized like just how incredibly queer of a story it is, which uh I think I've only started to appreciate in the last few years as I've watched it.
0: Yeah, well, let's um, let's get into that actually because I I was wondering because this movie feels like a you know gay kind of classic, right? Because it has like three larger than life women and doing these very big performances and you
1: know. I mean, this movie out. this movie could be called like the the Wigs of Eastwick, right? Yeah. Like this <laughs> is just like this movie is like all about caftans and wigs and turning a look
0: yeah yeah so yeah tell me more about um sort of the how you discovered its queerness is it like thematic or is it just like the personas of the three
1: um I I mean I think both right like Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's um you know (laughs) Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer and they're like in their own ways, I think you know, queer icons and, right. and uh, actresses that queer men are drawn to. I mean, um, particularly Cher. My entry point to Cher isn't uh, queer iconography; is the fact that she's Armenian, much like I am. Um, mm-hmm. She, before the Kardashians came around, was the most you know famous Armenian in the world, um, and and um, but I, I mean, I hate to to put it in the context maybe of your podcast I hate to even say this like I just want to throw up even saying it but it's really a love story between these three women, right? Oh like God! It's, <laughs> do you want to just cut off my mic? And no. just, it, yeah, I mean it's over that was, now. It didn't. You know what? It didn't feel great to say. You know, the other. You know, I might as well have said, "Well, Eastwick is the fifth character." Right, right. <laughs> um, but it really is. It's really like um, yeah. this. This. Um, it really is a story about these three women who love each other so much. And I don't know that there's any, it's certainly intimated in the movie that they are, uh, that they are physical with each other. Right. Like um, Mm -hmm. there is essentially an orgy that takes place in in the film. And it's certainly what uh, the scuttlebutt around town is, but uh, beyond the um, maybe like the physical aspect of it, uh, of it, these are like three women who are, each other's community each other's like soulmates so to speak right. and really helping each other through life before and after before during and after they've conjured um the devil who is a man who essentially comes into ruin their lives so right, a, lot, right. a lot a lot to unpack a lot a lot to unpack there <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah i think
0: yeah kidding aside about sort of that annoying thing that we, we tend to do is be like oh, you know, like um, I think about the movie like Bridesmaids and how people try to call that a romance because it's really a romance between the friends and I, I find that to be a little like, I don't know, movies can be, I think separating genres um, is I think important when it comes to movies like this, but I think the um, I definitely think Witches of Stick has a really strong romance backbone to it or through line and I think the relationships between the three women are really, I think it's somewhat, it's a lot more complicated than I think might it might seem on the surface or at first glance, um, because I think they, you know, they have such a strong friendship with each other, but then they also have the, I think, I think, you know, Daryl brings out maybe some of the more inherent, like, jealousies or um, conflict that they might have. And, um, you know, well, this movie really reminds me of Practical Magic, which I did on the podcast about a year ago with with, uh, Fiona Underhill, a really fun episode that I think encourage people to check out. Uh, And because it's this idea of like, um, like kind of romance kind of barging into these women's lives and how much they are changed for it, how much they long for it but also how much it kind of, like, as you say, ruins them, or at least attempts to ruin them and brings out all these um, all these conflicts and tensions that were maybe under the surface or subconscious or something that brings it all out. And these women actually have to reckon with it and they become stronger for it. It's not, you know, they don't, it's not this like weird, annoying, you know, sexist catfight thing, but more just like, they got to go through the ringer with their friendship so that they can come out of it a lot stronger.
1: I mean, it is. I totally agree with you. Um, I think it is really powerful and interesting that their fr- their love for each other and their friendship is so strong that they um, literally uh, awaken within themselves like witchcraft right. or like this this ability that they didn't otherwise have, and you know the thus the ability to conjure up you know or, or call to town you know, uh, Daryl Van Horn, the, the, you know, possibly, probably the devil,
0: um, yeah.
1: through the power of their love for each other and their friendship and their coven and, and all of that. But I do really think it's interesting. I've, I haven't read the book from what I've gathered. Um, the book, which is, uh, by John Updike and uh, an author who I have a huge blind spot for mm-hmm. is darker. I think that they're already like, um, they don't I don't think they ever even use the word witch or witchcraft in the movie, you know like other than the title like they don't you know it's um it's implied that they're um that they're doing witchcraft but they don't call each other witches, they don't call themselves a coven yeah. in the film itself um but in the in the book, I believe that they are sort of like they already have those those, vest, those uh, th- these abilities these latent abilities or or rather they're not latent. Um, and but I think it's really interesting that in the movie um, they you're right they do have sort of these like petty sort of grievances but they they come and go they come in really quick and they leave really quickly with yeah. each other you could imagine a version of this movie where it's just like you know three famous actresses that people want to see and they're all like you know and it's like the the worst version of this movie is like cat fights and hair pulling right, and instead right. they like have a little bit of you know uh a, you know an argument that results in like a fun special effects tennis game tennis match. And then it's kind of over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, um, yeah, it, it's over because like they, they decide that they can all share this one guy, which <laughs> like, and it's kind of like, they don't need to fight over him, which feels, I mean, it seems like somewhat a unique thing for even now, but let alone in the mid eighties. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really, I, I think it's really to the credit of the of George Miller because I think he is such a unique filmmaker that I don't think he would want to do a really broad, like, um, met, like kind of low-brow version of this. I mean, you know, he, I mean, even after this movie, he made so many really interesting genre movies that really push boundaries and um, are really. Um, like, more interesting beyond just, like, what their premise says. I mean, I was kind of, like, watching this movie and being like, well, when I first started this movie, I was like, okay, George Miller made this, you know, of course he's a legendary filmmaker, you know, I think redefined action movies forever in Mad Max Fury Road, right? Um, and uh, I was like, I'm really excited to see him do kind of a kind of a soft comedy, you know, where it's like, okay, I'm sure he just was, like, Maybe he was like a hired gun. I don't know, but he actually really brings out a lot of intensity in this movie, and um, he makes these emotions more subtle and more complicated and more nuanced, even within the realm of this kind of studio comedy with these like big name stars. And like this movie is so entertaining. But there's also so much under the surface that is there for us to chew on and to think about. And you know, the story takes such unique turns here and there.
1: It is kind of to the George Miller of it all, it is kind of fascinating to think like he's this Australian filmmaker and he does uh Mad Max, Mad Max Two. He does like, you know, the segment at tw- at Twilight Zone Zone the yeah. movie, but let's forget that. But like does Mad Max, Mad Max Two? makes a star out of Mel Gibson, you know, who, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. 20, makes Mad Max beyond the Thunderdome and then makes the Witches of Eastwick. Like it's his fourth movie, his first Holly- real like Hollywood movie. But um, those are obviously the three of those movies. You know, we think of Mad Max now, maybe more in the context of Furiosa, but like there is no reason to think based on his filmography that he would have such a deft handling of right. like, a movie that is primarily about um, these three women's friendship, even if the Jack Nicholson performance as, as essentially the devil um, is so much bigger and so much uh, literally bigger, you know, right. Like, you know, he's, he's so great in the movie, but I think, um, I think time has been interesting to this movie because I think that um, at the time, of its release probably. And based on the reviews that I've read, it was all about Jack Nicholson and his performance and all of this. And I think now when we were talking about maybe doing this movie, I feel like the movie, the context under which this movie has been re-examined over the years has been about these women and their relationships and their being like the central, essential romance of this film. And like the big, the big enormity of Jack Nicholson's performance is sort of, um, I don't know, almost secondary to that yeah. now. Um, but it is funny that George Miller became such like a, and then he does Lorenzo's oil. So, you know, obviously him and Susan Sarandon got along. Um, and then, you know, obviously the, you know, the one of the be- greatest uh, current day female action protagonists in Mad Max Fury Road. Right, so like, right. Um, it's sort of like some of that is maybe, you know, you can imagine some of that started at Witches of Eastwick for George Miller. I mean, it, it's so,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's so interesting to think about this movie in relation to uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, I, I think I, I always seem to forget that, like, it's the same George Miller, right? You know, because it's like, I mean, his career is, of course, so so varied. Um, and, uh, I, like, I think of him as Mad Max and Bay Pig in the City and that's really it and I kind of forget that he has a and Happy Feet, but I kind of forget he has a whole career outside of those movies and um, but like in terms of like Mad Max Fury Road like that's another movie that is nominally I think about a man right but it's actually I mean Furiosa I mean as much as Mad Max is a title character so is Furiosa because it's Fury Road and Furiosa right so um like you know, her and the and the wives and the people in the green space, like they're all our uh, green place. I guess like all those those the other women on the motorcycles. Like there's um, such a strong sense of community within these like matriarchal circles. Without you know with though with like the patriarchy having to like come in and really disrupt it or try to destroy it or test it, you know? And it's the same thing here where you have this really strong, um, you know, coven, I guess. And, you know, these women are pretty much like, as much as they are very, like, well, the HBO Max (laughs) description calls them man hungry or man crazy or something like that. Yeah, and I was like, I mean, again, I was ready for this sort of like broad um, like like middle brow thing that's going to be really uh, annoying um, from that description. But I was like, as much as they are quote unquote man hungry, which I don't even think that they are, I think it's more that like um, they want to find love and they want to have partnership, but they also get a lot of that from each other. And that, you know, they all had to, um, all the men in their lives left in a way that felt very incomplete, you know, where it's like someone died suddenly or someone abandoned someone else or a divorce. And it's just like, there's this a lot of, there's like a lot of closure that needs to happen. And that's what they're really looking for. Um, It's not that they like need a man
1: yeah, I think in some ways this movie is about thinking you need romantic love to complete to like make yourself complete. Yeah, um, and I think I mean, look, we are two men, we you know, <laughs> but uh, maybe we need we probably we most definitely need a you know female point of view talking right. about these women. But I but I think something that is relatable about the film is this idea that these women have each other. Yeah. Um So and they. Um it's and they I don't want to say conflate horniness with loneliness but they obviously all want to get laid they're yeah. surrounded by they're surrounded by terrible men yeah. and they just are like you know this is what we want and they like name all of these attributes and they conjure this guy and I think that it's about sort of one of the things it's about is realizing that Maybe you don't need romantic love to be fulfilled, yeah. Um, and that I think it's easy to say. It's easy to boil it down to oh, they don't need they don't need a man. But I think it's about maybe it's about a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's about them realizing that um, it's it's about them realizing that they have each other and that that is a lot. Maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe it's not enough. You know, I think that you know we're also talking about them as a, as a threesome, you know, I think they all have really interesting different relationships with Daryl. You know, I think that Jane, the Susan Sarandon character, I think is maybe the one who like, um, is the most like i think we could make it work she's she feels to me like the most like oh you know her girlfriends are like no he's bad for you yeah, be? Yeah. and she's like i don't know he's the devil but is he that bad i can, <laughs> I can change him and you know this and Cher's character um alex is i think a little bit more pragmatic and like she would like a partner she would like an equal you know yeah. and all of that and um I I do think uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's character Suki is the most. Sorry, I I think it's Suki, but I can't say Suki without saying it like the way that they did on True Blood.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say Suki. Suki Stackhouse.
1: Yeah, um, I think her, her character, and certainly her relationship with Daryl, to me at least, seems the most underdeveloped. but it does feel like they all are try- they they all are trying for different things with him, yeah, um, or want different things from him.
0: Well, this movie really reminded me as well of uh, the beguiled. I mean, I haven't seen the original like seventies sure. one, yeah. but the Sofia Coppola one mm-hmm. is because like. I thought of that because that's another movie about, you know, women having this little ecosystem and somewhat separated but influenced by men and then this man coming in and really just kind of, like, (laughs) causing up a little sandstorm. And, um, you know, in that one as well, like, Colin Farrell has different dynamics with every woman in that house. And, you know, whether he's, like, a, you know kind of seen it all kind of wool-weary guy like Nicole Kidman is, or he's like very romantic with Pearson Dunst or very like testing sexual boundaries with Al Fanning and kind of an older brother figure to the little girl. Like, um, is that Angry Rice or whoever it is? I'm, I don't remember. But um, it's like it's like that, it's that same thing here. And what I loved, I mean, the, I think a lot of my favorite scenes are the ones with um, Daryl kind of, doing his seduction thing with, you know, with Cher and and Susan Sarandon, because it's like, he seems to like tap into their kind of like worst anxieties and kind of brings them out. And, you know, especially like, I think, I think one of the best scenes is his scenes with, with Cher in the beginning of how crass he is, but he's still speaking to some kind of truth with her, which is that like, you know, she can do all of her chores every night, but they're still going to be there tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's not appreciated. She's not loved and she's not, she doesn't have that equal partner. And then same with Susan Sarandon, where it's like, your, your, your potential isn't being brought out in your music class. You're being harassed by some like creep and your students can't play in the band and all this and that. And, you know, he's really tapping into these things and like, it's not that like like it's not that he's seducing them because they're so like weak and will kind of kind of go for any guy that kind of winks at them, but like he's really getting to like their deepest, darkest you know, fear, anxiety, doubts, um, and exploiting them. And then they're but they're also like having some fun with it. You know, they seem much more. They seem like more alive with their like big hair and you know of course the magic powers start to come out and they get, they start to see they got to experiment with it more play with it more mm-hmm. um and they're really seeing their town for what it is um and like it's like really like toxic you know sexist plays so yeah it's i mean i think this movie is so fascinating in its character dynamics and how it plays with all of these you know tr- Plot points that could seem sexist, sexist, but seem uh, intentionally sexist. I guess.
1: I, I think a couple of things. I want to make sure that I, I I speak to about what you just said. One, I cannot believe that we couldn't get Kirsten Dunst an Oscar nomination for *The Beguiled*. Yeah. <laughs> it feels insane to me. Yeah. It feels yeah. like we are we were so ready for it at that point, and yet it's like that movie never happened. I know. Um, and I like it. I don't love it. I think people are like, you know, in, in sort of like, like it or love it camp. Yeah. Um, but she's so good in that movie. Um, yeah, I
0: agree.
1: The And, and and I think the other thing is like, this is also like a all time share um, monologue when she like barges in and she yells at him, uh, yells at Jack Nicholson, uh, yeah. you know, I think you're the most repulsive man that I've ever met. Blah 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 blah, and you smell. I mean, it's it's That's great. great. I mean, Shares 1987. Let it be known as. I'd be to talk about
0: that.
1: Yeah, you it's, know, like it's crazy. She, it's, uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty a star at the height of her powers, um, year. But I do think where this movie like maybe gets itself into a little bit of trouble through the through the lens of 2021 is sort of like I agree. I think they they are uh sexually freed in the in this relationship both i think probably with each other and with daryl and like you know now they're strutting around town with their big hair and like you know uh and they're and you know more freed outfits and um and flaunting their sexuality a little bit more and really enjoying their sexuality and like um you know obviously that is manifesting itself in a lot of different ways including the witchcraft but i think where it kind of gets in trouble is of that like and there's a cost to that you're you're now killing people and you can't have it right so like the cost to that sexual freedom for these women is like sort of like a lesson that they have to learn which is you know a little bit icky um and i don't know that that's what the i don't know that's what the film is intending to say but it is sort of what it does say yeah um but um you know the original novel like i said is like based on you know it's set in the 60s this is a 30 30 something year old movie you know um we can't like regurgitate every movie you know through that le- through the lens of 2021 nothing will hold up but there are some like you know it does feel like for every uh I think for a lot of the surprises of the nuance that this movie has for such a big spectacle and for uh, as advanced as it seems like it might've been for 1987, there are things about it that feel also regressive, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Um, I also think it's super interesting to think like um, this story of this movie being made is so interesting. You have the George Miller of it all. You have um you know susan sarandon was originally cast in Cher's role and allegedly didn't find out that she was playing jane until she got to the set um you know there's like those kind of r- interesting rumors there's a really interesting if anybody listens to the podcast um oh my gosh why can i you must remember this the paul po- the re- most recent uh, season was, um, I keep on wanting to say Paula Pell because I just finished <laughs> Girls 5 Ever. Um, I know, I the same thing. Uh, Polly, Polly, Platt. Polly Platt. Um yeah. Speaking of War of the Roses, was going to direct War of the Roses, ended up uh, doing the production design on this movie. It's really, really interesting. You should totally uh, listen to it. Um, you know, there's a lot, it's, it's just an interesting, interesting moment in, uh, or, or interesting from a film filmic perspective, but yeah. I think what is most interesting is sort uh the original um they originally wanted Bill Murray to play the to play the Jack Nicholson role. Yeah. And so you have these three actresses who like there were other actresses in the mix. Amy Madigan was in the mix, Angelica Houston was in the mix, but like Ultimately, it was always going to be like three '80s, like the most beautiful women on earth were always going to play this role, right? Yeah. Like, and and you end up with, you know, Cher, uh, like a literal, uh, you know, a sex god, Michelle Pfeiffer, the most beautiful woman in the world, and remember, like Susan Sarandon, like Bull Durham, Susan Sarandon, like, yeah, right. you know, just like sex, you know, one of the sexiest women alive, and you have, and the, the original intention was for them. Uh, for it to be like a Bill Murray. So I ju- I just think it's so interesting that sort of like these three women need to come and be saved or like sexually liberated by Bill Murray or even Jack Nicholson. He is sort of sexy in this role, but you know, he's not. He's not. Michelle, 1987, Michelle Pfeiffer. All
0: right. <laughs> All right. Who should we be looking for? Somebody nice? Somebody you could like? Somebody with a brain, somebody you could talk to. Someone you could really be yourself Yes. Someone to watch, watch over me. me. All right, all right, I've had it with you two, okay? <laughs> well, you would definitely <clears throat> have to be from out of town. Mm. Well, especially considering what's in town, Janie. Oh, a stranger, that would be interesting. A tall, dark prince traveling under a curse in Eastwick. Mm. Romantic. Uh, a foreign prince on a big black horse. <laughs> <laughs> all right, no, no, okay. If we're gonna have it, let's have it all. Handsome, he should be really handsome. That too, Ansel. Nice eyes. Nice ass. I prefer small. Right, right. I do. Aesthetically, I prefer small. (sighs) Sam was huge, and there were times when I just could not face it. Well, I'm sort of in the middle myself. But, I mean, all right, who cares? As long as it works, it's in. Uh, It's in. Okay. that but wishing for it's not going to make it happen is it no i don't think that men are the answer to everything no then why do we always end up talking about them well i i you know it's so funny you mentioned that because um you know, you mentioned earlier the reviews of the movie and I, you know, I read some of those as well, which was just like, they can keep up with Jack Nicholson. Cause he, I mean, of course at the time, you know, he had been, I think multiple Oscar winner, I think at that point. And, um, uh, very serious actor, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, I think already a legend uh, in, in the yeah, field. Yeah, probably,
1: probably like one of the five biggest movie stars in the right. world,
0: right? And then you have these three women who now we know them as incredible actresses, but I was just looking at their careers beforehand and um, I, I think like Silkwood is before this, right? For sure. Yeah, this yeah, is like yeah. right around the same time as Moon, like Moonstruck. I think it was coming out like in a few months um, and then Susan Sarandon, I think she had Rocky, Rocky Horror, and
1: um, Atlantic City. She Atlantic was Oscar City, nominated yeah, for, and um, Durr um, might have been the year, this year, or the year yeah. after. I mean, Cher was already share, right? But she wasn't share movie star. She was a yeah.
0: or share actress. You yeah, know? I, I remember she... that being a contention between her and George Miller. Is that like she wasn't known as a series actor? He was right. like, he's like, I don't want this pops. I mean, like, imagine if it was like like, I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, who is, like, a singer-actress so who's, like, both famous and regarded as singer and actor nowadays, like, Jennifer Lopez, you know? But, like, even she, I mean, yeah. she's obviously not as great an actress as Cher is. But, like, it would, to me, it would be, like, yeah, like someone
1: like Jennifer Lopez. Or like, like, it's a little bit like Madonna, except Cher was already such a legend well, and icon, yeah, right? Like yeah. she she was already Oscar nominated to your point for Silkwood. Yeah. She probably during the production of this movie was just in the process of being stubbed for mask. Right,
0: right.
1: But I think that she was probably to your to your exact point, like I get the Jennifer Lopez comparison, but like almost like if Jennifer Lopez had only done a cup, co- had only done Out of Sight, right? Yeah, Anac- yeah, yeah, Anaconda. Right, <laughs> and, you know, a big financial hit, a movie where she was sort of, you know, like well-regarded, and then yeah. like, and then Hustlers, where she was snubbed, right. and this was her next movie, right? Like yeah. something, something yeah, like yeah, like that. Exactly. But you're right; these are all actresses who are ascent. Like this is shares. A big movie star year, right? We're, right. I, we alluded to it. She's in Moonstruck that year, wins the Oscar. She's also in the movie Suspect with Dennis Quaid, which is a movie I just watched. It's not really great, um, <laughs> but it's still like three movies in one year from an from this person who'd already been famous for twenty plus years. Yeah. Plus, has a hit album that year. Um, Susan Sarandon was, I think, you know, had certainly been around to your point. Rocky Horror Picture Show. She gets nominated for Atlantic City, and then it's kind of like you know figuring out how to become a movie star. Uh, This movie certainly helps. And Michelle Pfeiffer, again, like has been around for a while, but like hasn't quite hit in between. Scarface Scarface is 82, 81, 82. This is five years later where she sort of, in the wilderness, becoming a mo- becoming a movie star. And then she has this, Baker Boys, uh, Dangerous Liaisons, Batman, You know, Batman. Like she's, uh, but even in this like corridor of a couple of right. years, you know, there's just like married to the mob, yeah, uh, yeah. Baker Boys, Dangerous Liaisons, she- Tequila Sunrise. She's like becoming a movie star. And right. this is a big stepping stone in each of their paths for it. But um, it's interesting to those reviews, I agree, which are probably- underlined with just like a through line of sexism that these three yeah. <laughs> actresses can't keep up with Jack Nicholson, who is playing literally the devil. Like, you know, nobody's going to be able to match that and they shouldn't be matching it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny to read old reviews, especially of Randy Collins. It's kind of like one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is reading old reviews and just seeing how like clueless, like old critics were i mean the critics are still kind of clueless these days but um especially with romance movies but i think like i can't imagine watching this movie and not being like totally enraptured by the three actresses and i mean they're fabulous performing mean, like they're so exciting on screen and they have such charisma and depth and i mean the other thing is like I, i'm not sure of their ages but i mean share is in her like 40s I think like cause she's definitely playing older in Moonstruck or she's playing younger than she is in Moonstruck I believe um yeah Moonstruck, the other two...
1: Moonstruck was a I just recently rewatched it in um in sort of the um the wake of Olympia Dukakis's yeah, passing yeah. for and it was definitely my first time watching it as an adult and you know she's Cher is playing like this washed up old (laughs) uh, you know old maid and she's like like, nah I'm 34 (laughs) years old and I'm just like oh god oh my god I can't believe this yeah I think the only and I think that they're I think that they're playing that in the movie I think that they're playing like late 30s early 40s except for Michelle Pfeiffer who is demonstrably I think played younger I think she's like played of the little sister of the trio yeah
0: yeah. like got
1: like has all these kids young you know her husband left um, where Susan Sarandon is playing a young widow, divorcee, widow?
0: I think she's the divorcee.
1: Divorcee, she's the divorcee, yeah. but like, what a shame. Right. You know, like she's so young and she's divorced and like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and her romantic future is over, Sweet. even though she's. Yeah. Susan Sarandon, and she's you know sexy as can be, yeah. this in this movie at this time. It's uh very interesting,
0: but it's just funny to me to think of like these three actresses playing like adult women and they're not like 20 year olds, you know. Like, you can imagine like a movie, like now, it'd be like you know, Jennifer Lawrence and um, oh my god, they'd be lucky,
1: if, we'd be lucky if this movie was made today with Jennifer Lawrence. I mean,
0: yeah, this... I mean, yeah, I take that back because I would love to see her in this, but like it would be someone her age. It would
1: be like Yeah, it would be like Ariana Grande. (laughs) Which would be great. I love Ariana Grande, but it would definitely be like Ariana Grande. And then like, you know what? I can't even keep doing this because I like don't know enough 25 year old actresses, (laughs) but that's what it would be. It would be like the old washed up one would be like Elle Fanning (laughs) at the age of 22. Yeah. It would
0: be a totally different. Uh, Actually that brings me to like, I was looking on, um, on IMDb after watching this and there was like a number of attempts to kind of do this movie as like a TV series reboot and then or tv movie remake and it feels like every couple of years someone's trying to reboot this or you know um or kind of give it a new spin i think there was a tv show on abc for what oh, i remember
1: seeing oh, oh i watched I, it i was the viewer for that show <laughs> who was it it was rebecca romaine it was kyle xy do you remember that abc family show oh, kyle yeah. xy um her boy that he was her boyfriend um, my younger boyfriend. Yeah,
0: wasn't then, it um, Jennifer? Oh God, what is her name?
1: Um, and then it was um this the red a red hair oh my God red haired actress who uh, actually is an Oscar winner she for producing a short I think or a documentary short. Yeah. Um, and it was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> it was really really bad. Um, but it is like I think just a, I think it's a sort of a potent idea, and I think it's yeah. like oh we want to make a show about witches. Well, this has a little bit of name recognition and there's like a natural slotting for three actresses, you right. know, and they're all going to have different hair colors. So, yeah. let's, you know, let's go for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, I definitely see why this movie has a lot of pull um, because exactly what you're saying, the premise is so hot and the potential for casting is so great. And then, but I don't know you just kind of need like you need someone like George Miller you need these four actors to kind of bring it home because like they have the depth I mean no offense to Rebecca Romijn or Lindsay Price and I think you're Jamie Ray Newman yes Oscar
1: Oscar winner Jamie yeah
0: right um oh yeah just recently yeah
1: yeah
0: um they just don't they don't have it this as is the same
1: charisma. Yeah, I think that this is a movie. I don't know if it's a concept, but it's certainly a movie that like requires a kind of movie stardom that we might not have anymore. Yeah. You know, like it's this is a I mean, this is a movie star movie. Even mm-hmm. if you took the three actresses out of it and you recast them, you have to have a Jack Nicholson level movie star yeah. as Daryl Van Horn. Yeah. Um You know, like this is, and that's not to say it's not well-written or well-directed or, you know, production design again or all of these other things that came together to make this movie really great, but it's a movie. It's a movie for movie stars, Right. and and, uh, like half of this movie is just, this movie could be half as bad, like half worse, and just like coast on the charisma of like four of the most uh you know compelling movie stars to ever be on screen essentially yeah um and that is i think it's imp- i guess the problem with maybe some of these reboots is it's impossible to separate those two things right. like it's, it's impossible to imagine like oh what would this movie be if it was like just like you know four character actors yeah although that said um we we texted a little bit about this but like all that to say that Veronica Cartwright gives the uh, best performance in this yeah. whole movie. Um, and if this movie was released today, I think she would be like a Best Supporting Actress nominee. I mean, mm. her, she is outrageously good in this movie as like the, I mean, I don't even know how to describe her. She's sort of the um, the only one, the one in town who really sees them for what, I, I was going to say sees them for what they are, but that's not even true. Like um, is sort of... Um, the most disturbed from a religious standpoint about what they are, you know, about what they are doing, uh, up at that, up at the house. And, you know, um, and is literally driven mad by it. And is also, um, I don't even voodoo to death. I don't even know how you're, I mean, (laughs) realistically, the great, the, the, the greatest, if not top five greatest, um, vomit scenes of all time.
0: Yeah, well, it is right? graphic and it is scary. And
1: but it's like hilarious. It's I mean, so it's, funny. It's, it's so like the kind of scene that you're watching and you're going, "Am I?" This is you go through literally all of those emotions, right? You're like, "Yeah, I'm terrified." this is so much. And then it, because it's, it's like something weirdly like plopped in here, like out of a Sam Raimi movie. Right. Right. (laughs) It's like so much that it becomes funny. She's so good.
0: If I had seen this movie as a kid, that would have terrified me. (laughs) Like it would have traumatized me. Um,
1: I mean, it certainly stayed with me. It certainly, you know, I didn't, I've never forgotten it. Right. Um, Right. You know, it's uh, probably the kind of thing that if, when you see as a kid, it's the only thing you remember about this movie, right? It's just like, because how could you forget?
0: Yeah. um, I mean, Veronica Cartwright, like, um, she's, like, a low-key horror icon. Or maybe she's not low-key in the horror community, but, like, between this and Alien and the birds and what's the fourth one that she's in?
1: Invasion of the Body Snatchers.
0: Yeah, yeah um i'm like hey you know and she's always playing like very i mean i haven't seen invasion body snappers body snatchers in a long time so i don't remember her character but in the other three she's like very hysterical and like um she kind of plays that that same kind of role of just like the worried one who's like scared and it's she's so good at it and yeah i mean this movie is so uh, but like she I mean, like i was texting you before like her screaming by anal sex in church is very iconic. Um, part, probably my favorite part of the movie as well. Uh just like, that whole scene is just so, she's so funny in it, and um, but you also, like, feel really bad for her, because, like... You do like, feel
1: bad for her. You
0: know, like, she's not a joke. Uh, like, even, like, the things that happen to her are a little funny, but, like, she's not at the butt of the joke, and, like, you know, she is onto something, like, she's that, she's that character in every kind of army where they're like, they're onto something, they know what's happening, but they just can't explain it. And so.
1: It is so, um, I, I totally agree with you. She's like giving a full bodied performance and literally, like she's literally performing (laughs) this with her whole body, but she is sort of like the, um, you don't ever see, or at least I don't ever see um, Alex, Jane and Sookie, as villains mm-hmm. of this. So you should almost naturally be rooting against Veronica Cartwright right. because she is sort of hysteric. She does get very hysterical, but she is the the impediment to their joy right. and they are our protagonists. And you don't ever feel that way about her um, because she's giving such a great performance and because you know that like, Oh yeah, you're right. Actually, like everything you're being driven crazy by this Yeah, you're, yeah. and you are 100% right. And it, it is, and it's incredibly tragic what happens to her. I mean, you know, what's um, her husband? Her husband kills her. <laughs> like, uh, you it's know, so dri- he's he's also driven mad by right. her, um, and 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 you know, the great Richard Jenkins just has had enough, and um, and I, I shoots her, bludgeons her, something terrible, and then yeah. uh, you know, and it's really the fault of our our protagonists right which is like so incredibly complex
0: yeah but at the same time i mean it's like it's their fault but it's also like it's the patriarchy's fault you know because dale comes in there and he messes everything up
1: you know Um, what that is absolutely right If (laughs) if the devil had never come to town you know veronica cartwright would be alive today
0: yeah i mean i think i think we all can agree with that um, but yeah, no, I I love Rangika Carwright in this movie and in a lot of the movies I've seen of, of her in, seen her in, and um, I, I I was reading that um, her death scene was they were using like a puppet and it was almost like too disturbing, <laughs> and so they had to cut all the scenes with the puppet and they just used her and I. Could not. I mean, I'm dying to see the footage of it with this like animatronic puppet that looks so lifelike that it scared everyone in test screenings because uh, it sounds horrifying. Um, and the scene on its own is horrifying enough, even without this, the other visual effects there. Um, and um, well, actually, speaking of which, I want to talk about touch upon the visual effects of this movie. Uh, what did you, What do you think of them watching it now? You know, in this CGI era
1: um i mean it does go a little big right at yeah. the end like it 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 does and i know that was some of the criticism of the movie i think like in the spirit of the campiness that th- this movie dips into yeah. um i think it works but it is it is a lot um you know him turning into this like big grotesque monster um I was more charmed by like the the this the visual effects of like oh they're flying yeah, you know, yeah. Like they're, okay that's cute that's like more in line with the movie it does feel it does feel a little jarring um, to see it all of a sudden become like such a visually effects visual effects heavy yeah. movie for that last twenty minutes especially because there is some real pathos and real comedy. Um, And real suspense happening in that last act um, as they're like trying. And it's also like so gorgeous, like that kitchen and like, you know, them like those big copper pots and like them doing the actual witchcraft sort of. um, And the coordination of some of that, it almost feels like the, I don't know that I have a problem with the, the way that the visual effects have aged. I think for 1987, they're pretty, they're pretty decent. Yeah. I just think the the amount of them um sort of um is again a little bit jarring to like what's happening in the story.
0: Yeah, I really agree with you. I think um I think they look great. Um, granted, I am very easily convinced. Me too. I'm effects. like, oh I my can God. never tell when it's bad special effects. So no. when people are like, oh, that we have really bad CGI. I'm like, I have no
1: idea. People are always like, oh, these, <laughs> the, this wasn't shot on a scene. I'm like, it wasn't? Yeah. This isn't, it, it, I live in New York and I'm like, this is New York City? Yeah, I haven't right. been to. I haven't been to this pizza place. Are you sure? So I, I'm yeah.
0: Saying, I'm, same 100%. Um, I can never tell, but so I think the when movie looks great and I agree that like some of the charm, it's like the climax is charming because it's like an 80s horror comedy because those are just inherently charming, you know, for me. Um, but the movie also loses some of its more like low-key character stuff for it for me when it becomes about like big monsters or whatever, um, but I, I mean, I enjoyed it, so it was not really a huge quibble for me. I just was just like, I wasn't expecting it because I just thought it would be a little different. Um, but I, I think it was, yeah, I, it, it's definitely charming in its way, just because it's of you know how it looks and you know there's so much dedication behind it mm-hmm. too that it just comes across.
1: It, it does almost feel like, and uh, maybe again looking at it with the with the cynicism of, you know, 21st century movie watching yeah. and the marvelification, which I love, of, you know, <laughs> uh, of um, of movies, um, you almost feel like, if you think about it, in 1987, this is like a movie by the director of the Mad Max trilogy starring yeah. Jack Nicholson, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer, and you feel like it almost feels as though somebody said like, no, we have to have big special effects. This is a big movie. Like this, right, has right. this can't just be like a quaint little adaption adaptation of a John Updike novel. And, you know, some of the, as I mentioned before in the, um, you must remember this podcast, when they talk about this movie, they talk a little bit about the producers and John Peters and Peter Gruber, John yeah. Peter, like, um, Barbara Streisand's, I think, ex-husband, but certainly like um, he's an ex-hair stylist. There's a great oh, documentary guy, yeah. about him, um, and,
0: and the movie was, shampoo.
1: Yes, yes, yes. The movie Shampoo is based on him, and um, certainly like. That was sort of his edict, like big, you know, like uh, yeah, that didn't yeah. always work out on screen, um, and it it felt a little shoehorned because they were like, well, if we're not going to put special effects in this movie, what what would we put it in? Right. Um, so I I, I didn't. It doesn't take me out of the movie. No, Just, not at all. If, if, uh, Very rarely do I look at this particular movie with a critical eye. It was nice to actually watch it for this podcast and be like, what do I think of this as a movie? And not something yeah. I've seen 1,000 times. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was really the first time I had thought about, like, do I like this choice and the right. entire answer- the answer is sort of like, mm, I don't know. I don't care. Sure. <laughs>
0: sure. <laughs> well, do you have any um, favorite lines or moments in the film that really just like make you think of this movie?
1: Um, I I do love, I mean, this is more like just a moment, um, but I do. And I think because I grew up in the 80s with like these three women as like the biggest movie stars in the world. And I I, I really did, you know as most people should fell in love with Michelle Pfeiffer as Stephanie Zanoni, uh, in Greece too. Yeah. Uh, you know, climbing up that ladder to sing a cool writer. But at the end, right before this climax happens, um, they're all uh, you know, out the window waving goodbye and their hair is like enormous. Yeah and they yeah. All look gorgeous. And now again, watching it for like with a more critical eye, and I'm like, oh, right, they went over there the previous night to hatch this plane and they probably had sex with him. you know, uh, as was their choice, but as part of a, like a seduction plan. And, yeah. that, sort of, and that, that the sedu- as a, as like, a, well, we know this man is the devil and we're going to have to sleep with him to trick him into this. And right. the fact that these women had to make that choice is sort of icky, but okay, fine. Um, that's the movie that we're watching, but they, uh, they just look so beautiful. And so like, um, so eighties and that's like a very comforting sort of, uh, blanket for me and yeah yeah. to see these women in particular um I would also say um like I said before I can't do the whole I'm sure I don't watch um I can't believe I'm gonna say this on a I can't believe I'm going to say this on a podcast. So I hope I'm not run out of town. <laughs> but I don't, I don't watch Drag Race. Oh, um, me neither. I have no. Oh my god. It. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, but I can't imagine that no one has. I do know the tenants of the show Drag, Drag Race. Um, and I can't imagine that no, uh, no one on that show has ever done shares, um, takedown of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, right for the choosing. Yeah.
1: Um, of Jack Nicholson, which is like a really really great monologue one of the all time great like um, it reminds me a little bit of um, like a classic designing women Dixie Carter (laughs) Um, it's so 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 well so well delivered Um, uh, that you know I think that's like an easy choice for like standout moments and the vomit I mean like who doesn't love the vomit in this movie is gorgeous it's perfect
0: yeah yeah I think for me, a lot of what you mentioned, of course, um, iconic. Uh, but aside from that, I, I think that a really like, I think a really fun scene is the tennis game. You know, yes. the effects are really cool. The, um, they have such good chemistry with each other, even as they're like kind of like um, hitting each other on purpose or being, you know, it's just, it's funny. It's fun. It's good to see the three of them like. Like this, sometimes you can just tell what a movie was like fun to make. And I feel like this movie was just because, like, there's just, I feel like there was some, or at least the actors had a good time together, even if the producers were annoying or whatever. Um, I, I just feel that it was like, seemed like a, a good time for them and that they enjoyed the experience. Um, well, so I hope so. And at that, that tennis game scene definitely looks like a lot of fun. So I really, yeah, I love that part of the movie. Any, any yeah,
1: I don't, oh, so go ahead. I was just gonna say, I don't know if you're right or wrong about the um that it was fun to film, but I certainly like it it's deep deep well within me hopes it was fun to film. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if the I don't know if there's like horror stories about it or whatever the case is, but I I do um in my mind. At least they had a blast, and everyone got along, and it was beautiful and gorgeous yeah, and perfect yeah. from minute from the end. I also think, obviously, I did forget to mention that. Um, um, Jack Nicholson referring to himself as one horny little devil is pretty great too.
0: I mean, yeah, and look, Jack Nicholson is very hot in this movie. I'm sorry to say, but I always find him hot in every movie, even like The Shining and The uh, Departed. Anytime he's on screen, I'm into that. Um, okay. No, he's one of my favorite actors, and I just think he's like so cool, you know.
1: Yeah, um, no, I. Person. I I think he's um. I I don't. I think as I've gotten older. Maybe I think I find him a little sexier in this movie. He's not somebody that I find inherently sexy. Um, Yeah, that's
0: just that confidence, you
1: know. Yeah, he's like, but he's like a Michael Douglas to me, like that. Uh. I just, um, I watch all these old movies with like the most beautiful women in the world throwing it all away for Michael Douglas, and I'm like, I don't know, he's got (laughs) kind of like scrawny arms, right? Like, what's the deal with Michael Douglas? I
0: mean, not to get too off track, but I definitely have that thought about like Basic Instinct. Oh my God. Like Ins- um, Sharon Stone and Gene Triple Horn are like killing each other. <laughs>
1: the, the second that Michael Douglas shows up in that club in Basic Instinct, <laughs> there is no way that Sharon Stone or any any other woman would be able to have sex with him. He's wearing yeah. a sweats- sweater with no shirt underneath and his sleeves are rolled up and he's like doing the lambada. It's so <laughs> weird. And the fact it's so, anyway, I'm sorry. That's not what we're talking about. No, I'll, come no. ba- I'll come back for a basic instinct episode. Definitely, I would love to do that movie. I love, I, love that, I
0: love that movie and that genre so much. Um, but um, so any any final thoughts on The Witches
1: of the Eastwick? No, I think I got it all. I mean, I don't know how much we talked about the romantic, the romance of it, but I do think it's like such an interesting, interesting, interesting film that also happens to be like so, so fun. It's uh, a beautiful time capsule of the 80s. It is a real true romance about female friendship. And like, and just like to see all of these actors as well as Jack Nicholson in like the peak of their powers, it just brings me such, such joy this movie. So I yeah. hope everyone watches it if they haven't already or re-watches, or rewatches it, it. re-examines yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I
0: mean, I'm so glad that you, um, I'm so glad that you brought it up. And I definitely think that this movie's uh, the love story in this movie is really interesting. I think all three of these relationships that are so complicated and fascinating to think about. So I'm really so glad that you, um, so glad that you mentioned it and that we did it. And I finally got to watch this like American Hollywood classic. Um, so thank you. And thanks for being here. I'm so, I'm so glad that we got to do this. Uh, where do people find you online and what are you working on these
1: days? So you can find, I'm working on myself, which is the most important thing. And I'm, yeah. um, I'm uh, pitching. I write a little bit for awards watch when I have time um, and trying to, find other outlets uh to write about pop culture and movies and all of my spicy hot takes um and people can find me online at both on twitter and instagram at wait for it eddie e-d-d-i-e underscore if you can believe it uh and then my last name m-o-u-r-a-d as in david i-a-n as in nancy at eddie underscore meridian how did you come
0: up with those? I don't know. It was. Handles?
1: I just thought. Wait, you already have like a long name that's hard to spell. Let's <laughs> add some punctuation to it, and people would just fi- be crawling over themselves to follow you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, um, and you can find me on Twitter at manish 89 Also, please follow the podcast at thepodbyu. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show to help other people find it as well. Eddie, I cannot thank you enough. This has been an absolute blast talking with you. Um, And listeners, thanks for listening.